0: Hello and welcome to today's Such podcast. The interviews. Uh, I'm very pleased to be joined by uh, Neil Atkinson, who is representing the Anfield Wrap. And I think I've got a slide there with a picture of Neil on it, uh, just to, just to show how <laughs> just to show how close he is to the to, to, to the throne, so to speak. But um, yeah, thanks for coming on, Neil. It's a, it's a pleasure.
1: That's an absolute pleasure to join you. Uh, to be honest with you, James, uh, always nice to listen to you and Ted from time to time. So it's nice to be invited.
0: <laughs> how are you? Fi- how are you finding your time at home this this last month or so? Uh,
1: the last few days and especially the weekend just gone were exceptionally hard. So up to, normally I don't spend much time at home. So I'm not, right. you know, I'm very busy with all the Anfield Rap stuff and tend to be out and about and enjoying supporting liverpool at the moment which is obviously fabulous and all the hits and so you know we we got a new house outside after our, leaving our city flat uh yeah. last last june and i've really not i've not spent all that much time in it so for a period to be really honest the whole thing had a sense of novelty to be you know i was a bit like oh it's all right this being at home thing and you know not being hung over all the time and and, and <laughs> you know you know it, it genuinely did have that and then Easter Sunday was bad for a variety of reasons, but weekend just gone was really like, why on earth isn't there football? It was the sort of it was the sort of Saturday where I would have lamented the fact I wasn't playing football, let alone watching some. Uh, it was you know it was nineteen degrees, it was t-shirt and a light jacket weather. Um, it was the perfect day to play uh, or to watch a Liverpool game at half 12 and then go into town and watch other games and have the full day, 11 till 11, out and about. And it was perfect. And so it it really, Saturday, Sunday really became oh, why is this happening? This really did become a real sort of horrible feeling locked down, feeling really disconnected. Uh, so up until then, it's been fine. Uh, but but since then, it's all been a little bit like, come on. But, I mean, it'll take as long as it takes. I'm not one of the users desperate for them to hurry up. And also from our side, we have at the Anfield Wrap, we have 60 different people on an average week coming into our office. So yeah. any, any loosening of the lockdown doesn't change our working scenario, really, until there's a certain level of, of safety. Yeah where you know this this is our foreseeable future
0: yeah no it's, it's similar for us
1: and i can understand what you mean about the,
0: the you know the way it's changed in the last few days i i I'm, I'm okay at home but like
1: there's been a lot of being
0: at home so <laughs> yeah. uh you know we and we we're doing a similar thing at startsporn you know we 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 normally were in the office three days a week and we're from home uh the rest of the time for people who are not kind of you know local to the office so it's been okay to adapt but you know it'd be great to get some football back and yeah you know, i'm entirely with you in the fact that we don't do that until we so uh, we've got um, you know the right measures in place. Um, just a quick you know, resume of who you are uh, on this slide, uh, where you can find you on Twitter, and who, what the things you do. Anfield Raff uh, Rider podcast. And I, was, I did a little research on on you, Neil, and. It, to be honest I was surprised you you are a man of culture you do many many things in many many interests and uh, <laughs> but I think first and foremost you are a Liverpool man there's 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 no denying that and you know the the football is the kind of the core of it all but yeah I mean the fact that you've you know been a screenwriter you've done lots of writing obviously podcasting and broadcasting and it, it's it's good do you did you ever feel that um you know it, it was when you started with the anfield rap and how it, how it built up did you ever feel that it would be so all-encompassing and it would cover so many Different areas, and you'd you'd end up being,
1: you know, so kind of broadly involved in so many things. No, no, not when we first started. We first started in 2011, and there's a long road between sort of 2011 and the the autumn of 2014, moving into the first half of sorry the first three months of 2015, which is when it changed really, um, in terms of how much it was going to be for me, but also for a lot of other people. You know, I think that's the. That's the key time of it shifting. Now, there was there was a couple of quite early moments of the realization that this the, the thing was very very popular with a large number of people. You know, we did a live show in Bray um, in 2013, which made you think. You know, the 500 people came um, to Bray uh, when right. we said it, when we said it was Dublin, and it is emphatically not Dublin. Uh, I mean, <laughs> we were told that a lot on the night, but uh, we sort of discovered it after we landed. Yeah, so, Yeah. <laughs> So there was that, but 500 people still came. And then there was... um there was the, we we went to Australia that summer and we did a live show there in front of a thousand people and that was a that was I mean you know that was in part because Liverpool's pre season tour was was there and and people needed to go somewhere the night before uh, you know that wasn't the idea that there was a thousand people there who all loved the Anfield rap. but there was a, I'd like to think a thousand people there who all had a nice time um, and then from there moving into twenty fourteen I sort of left uh, left my job and made a film and then came back and and we felt that there was. There was more we could do with it uh, at that point and we tried to do a sort of an online magazine thing uh, which had failed because one of the core lessons we've learned uh, repeatedly is firstly it's very difficult to change your audience's behaviour and secondly um, ultimately in football people are all about what has either immediately just happened or what is going to happen next. Um, and online magazines prohibit that a little bit and you know i think that that's the that's what people are are very bought into i find is what either an explanation uh, and a discussion as what of what has just happened or what is going to happen next and you can have the nicest piece of writing in the world but people are more interested in joe allen's knee injury um because that's what's going to affect their saturday that bit more so all of that led us to decide that if we were going to try and sort of sustain and grow the business that more podcasts were first and foremost the answer Uh, more pod give the people more of what they want uh, rather than getting into a situation where they file feel as though they're getting less of what they want, um, and that still is sort of remains now, and f- you know feedback around that even during this current time, you know we're still putting out the same number of shows on a weekly basis, but what those shows are actually about has, has, has changed even in a sort of a six week journey in terms of just listening to to what people want and what they want more often, um, and what they, what they want a little less of, and and, and tailoring the, the the offering accordingly. Here's a question for you, you know, related to that. There's been
0: a lot of uh, kind of like throwback stuff. Uh, it, this period of no football and you know nothing, nothing to do, kind of football-related has meant a lot of people have, like started looking back at old matches and um, uh, you know old old yeah. teams and and look, maybe learning about them for the first time. You know, by actually watching the footage because footage is so so generally available. Do you, I've I've got I'm, I'm slightly torn on this as to whether whether uh, people are, li- are probably a li- maybe a little bit tired of, of this kind of like
1: throwback looking.
0: Maybe a month and a six weeks in they are or. Or, or if there is a uh, you know a, a small demand where people actually are interested in this, how are you, how are you finding that?
1: What we're doing is every single day we're doing a show called On This Day, which we tend to record at ten am and we have up by one pm. And that's in part because we want people to have the 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 familiar sort of feel that there will be the Anfield rap uh, present mm. for them. Uh, it's also because it actually helps i think so we end up with sort of two or three games to go through or a birthday or something like that and what we've actually found what i've found it most interesting is to sort of relate the conversation forward uh, you know use the the comparison points Um, So uh, another thing we've been doing on another show is starting is almost going back to the very start of Klopp's tenure at Liverpool and picking out key games and key moments. But the point of that isn't to just to go, you know, what about the old days? Because the point about this is that this thing has happened. What is you know certainly in my lifetime one of if not the best periods to be a Liverpool supporter. You know, it's two seasons on the balance of Champions League finals and two seasons that are ninety-seven point seasons. If you see what I mean. So you know, you know that it doesn't get better than this. So I think what that's what that's done is it's changed. I think I think that had this have happened, for instance, four or five years ago, let's say the second there, the third season under Rodgers, the season after the 13-14 season under Rodgers. Mm. If this happens, then then we are very much mired in nostalgia. As it is, I'd like to think and maybe flatter myself a little bit, but my background is you know I did a degree in history. We're doing a little bit more of what I would say was history. So the idea of seeing what's happened, what you can take from it. What you can sort of pull through to the present, uh, you know, what's in there and relevance. You know, one of the things that's come out of general conversation, I think, over the last three or four months in my mind, but certainly since the lockdowns happened, is when you look back at, for instance, the 1990 1991 season, that Arsenal side only loses one game all campaign. And there are a fair few parallels you can pull forward to the current Liverpool team, which you wouldn't you know this isn't this this was not a hot topic of conversation and i'm not saying it is now either but having been able to take a little breath and look at some of that stuff i think it's a little bit of a forgotten team that team wins two titles in three seasons um, the general feeling is that the first one is because Liverpool get hit uh, with what happens at Hillsborough but Arsenal are there or they're about to be four then um, and then you know there's a little bit of a break and then they basically they you know they lose one game out of 38 uh, which is just a remarkable record and it doesn't be, and partially because of Arsenal's later Invincibles team but I think partially because it's it, they're, they're an unfashionable outfit they're not really talked about as some sort of great side of the English game, but I can imagine the same sorts of conversations were being had somewhere. The league's not as strong as it was. You uh, know, <laughs> all, all the same hits would have been coming through back then. So I think, I, I think, what wh- I think, nostalgia for its own sake is dangerous in general. But I think being able to look at something and pull it forward is is really really useful. And in terms of that, you know, so we are running some of that, but we're also having a general look at what's next. What I also feel this should have done, and we'll find out whether it does or not, is to look at the issues that are in the game. There's very few times football actually pauses and my main frustration with the banter conversation around whether or not the league should be canceled is it's actually getting in the way of what should be a much bigger conversation, which was, which is to do with, you know, it's 30 years since the premier league has started. It's the first time we've had to take a breath and is all of this working for football and the number of teams that are in crisis, the, 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 what the championship does to our game, you know, that one of the observations I've made and and will continue to make after this is, It is madness, absolutely madness, that the game that is referred to as the richest game in football is played somewhere between the 23rd and 26th best teams in England. That's absolutely crazy when you break it down as a sentence. Yeah, Uh, no... it certainly is i mean it, and we don't know what happens with that now at all it's a really quite of exactly. strange situation isn't it and because and so we can use this sort of this thing that you know there's a there's a, it looks like there was a period of time where west ham were prepared to gamble very early on the entire fabric of football and the covenant between supporter and uh, and and the game itself that the game means something uh, and the television money and they were and, and and possibly years of lawsuits and they were prepared to gamble that so as not to be threatened with relegation to the championship. And when you actually break that down, that's crackers. So what have we done? How have we ended up in this situation that the champion, that the idea of a side like West Ham playing in the championship is that terrifying? They're prepared to gamble all of that so as to not do it. How have we, you know, we call it a pyramid, uh, another line we've been using, we call it a pyramid, and yet there are parachute payments. You cannot jump off a pyramid. It's meant to be sloped. Uh, yeah no, that's a good point actually and it's and we, very
0: much kind of isn't at the moment
1: is so. it? and we do all of this so we're trying to pull that sort of stuff in as well and then the other thing we're trying to do is just have a laugh because you know what else can you do uh, so we're trying to we're trying to entertain people and be social as, as much as we can and then around that we're sometimes doing commentary on all games uh, but when we're doing that it's very much conversational rather than the idea that we're just literally listing who's got the ball
0: yeah, yeah, no, I understand. I mean, it's it's probably, it feels like almost, it's going to be like the longest coronation ever for, for Liverpool, this, because, you know, when it, whatever happens, it feels like they're not going to not get get a title out of it. And yet there's been six, eight weeks, or probably now, of, of, on top of all the time where it was it was inevitable, where, you know, you've been able to actually, like, sit and kind of enjoy this team. And it's funny, isn't it? Because obviously that Champions League game where uh, you got knocked out, um, which, you know, probably should have never taken place... Um, it almost kind of drew the line under that aspect of the season as well so it's not like there's there's the idea of like okay you know what about our champions league run it's
1: it is all about the league now and that you know that will be what this season's remembered for um, be remembered for that but it'll also be remembered for all this and i think that that and that's absolutely fine by the way when when people do the oh there'll be an asterisk next to it well there will be yeah there'll be an asterisk next to everyone's season which is a massive pandemic came in yeah. <laughs> you know that's the asterisk a massive pandemic came in you know there's no other one in that You know, and let's genuinely i mean god imagine if we were only six points clear and two of our next three games were away at goodison and away at the etihad and then, then there really would be understandable sort of calls for well, you can't hand on this title, uh, you can't, you know, you can't say because the six points clear I, I, that'd be inarguable if things were to be frozen and you go from there. You know, I think I think it's a it's an enormous blessing actually for English football that Liverpool are twenty five points clear because it sort of removes that from a from the well. If people were grown ups, it would just remove that from the equation. Um, it, I've said all the way through the, the the all the questions for the Premier League are not to do with Liverpool. Liverpool, are the easy bit, Leicester. Chelsea, Bournemouth, Aston Villa, Watford West Ham, these are the hard parts Uh, Liverpool are just the easy
0: bit really. Yeah, no, I can understand that. Um, uh, We'll we'll come back to Liverpool and performance in a little bit, I just wanted to talk a little bit around the the kind of uh, fan multimedia culture that I think that, you know Anfield is definitely very much kind of epitomises That's that's grown up uh, certainly in the last decade, I mean obviously things like fanzines and stuff were always always existed back in the day Um, but yeah, i i find it fascinating i i think you know having visited your offices and you know spoken to spoken to people that work for you work with you and you know in the anfield i've I, and read around a little bit i can definitely see the relationship with the city is very important and you know you obviously many of you go to all the games you know that that whole kind of like uh, Centering around the club by being, you know, locals to it. I remember coming back from visiting you and thinking, like, my God, you know, there, must, there should be other, there should be other clubs that are doing more things like this, you know. And uh, but as a Tottenham fan living 200 miles from London, this isn't much use to me, and you know, I I, 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 cannot emulate this. But I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me. You know, there are other clubs that have got, um, kind of like. Uh, these kind of little industries that have built up around them, say Arsenal's Fan TV and United Standard, uh, United. but Liverpool particularly, and I know, you know, the, the kind of emphasis of, of, of Liverpool fandom is, is almost like, you know, it's more than just supporting a club and, and that, but it seems to have, it, there's, there are many little organisations, um, or not so little, but, you know, similar to yourselves that are, are built up and provide, fit, fitting into the kind of like fan culture. And I think one of the aspects I saw I've thought about uh, from this was over time, we've seen uh, yourselves um well, you know, by teaming up with stats Bomb and get you getting the Stats Show running up, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, Anfield Index, I know have, have got a long kind of history with Stats stuff. Tompkins, Times have got Stats interested people, but in particular, it's interesting to me that the the kind of this this kind of like interest in Stats and content, uh, Stats content and. Uh, you know, fan content has has kind of risen hand in hand with Liverpool. I mean, it, it might be partly the fact that there is there's so many people producing content that it was a natural kind of move to kind of cover all areas. But um, yeah, it it fascinates me that Liverpool are so prevalent within this within this specific kind of like uh, niche industry. And obviously, you guys, you know, are, are very very kind of prominent there.
1: Uh, yeah, and we we made the decision when we partnered with you that it was an attempt to to be more prominent within it. Uh, to be honest with you, it wasn't that we've been. It wasn't that we'd been—I'm skeptical of the use of statistics within football. Firstly, I think that that's a pretty difficult position to sustain and support Liverpool and all of their continued success. Uh, but secondly, I think it had just been the the difficulty of 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 starting points and of, of working out what it's about. And there is still and still when I you know do I I, I do our stats show on a on a weekly basis, ideally, uh, well twice weekly actually when when games are happening and everything's moving forward quite nicely. There's still. There's still an issue, which I know the whole stats community runs into around around nomenclature. When you give something a name, you create a problem. Um, and I've, I've long maintained that the biggest reason why people have an issue with expected goals is quite literally the phrase expected, and then the yeah. fact that it then gets called XG, uh, everybody understands we should have scored five today. Everybody, uh, it's been used in football parlance since the year dot. Uh, but but expected the use of expected and the use of the capital and the little case lowercase letter causes problems. So, i but I think that in terms from a Liverpool point of view, I think it is partially that everyone sort of does look to find find their own their own niche you know and i think that that's that's part of it i think you know everyone wants to wants to f- just have a have an aspect of, of telling this story but also i think you know i mean the the sheer explosion of, of liverpool related stuff is i think liverpool have always been very active liverpool supporters online have always been very active i think there's a there's, there's a thing about liverpool fandom in general as you've touched upon i also maintain uh, as i maintain in, in, in a lot of different ways geography matters um, and Liverpool is very Goldilocks. Um, everything is just right in terms of the size of the city, the number of people um, for, for for there to be sort of um, uh, mushrooming fan media. You know, it's not... It Liverpool never feels as, it never feels that you're very far away from football in Liverpool. Certainly in a weekend where there's a match on, uh, but on the other hand, it is still big enough to be a city and to, to house city like things. And I think that's a massive part of it. And then as I say, yeah, I think that the I think people have always you know you look at even the writing around Liverpool that isn't what we can sort of loosely call scientific based it's it's happy to be intellectual you know i go right the way back to work by somebody called alan edge uh who wrote you know a number of of books that were uh, a lot of people criticized as being quite flowering quite romantic and i'm not in a position to do that with my writing but where i think there's always been liverpool supporters Kevin Sampson, the end. Liverpool's fan media going right the way back until into the eighties has always been quite has has never really been suspicious of being accused of being clever. So right. I think that that's one of the reasons why, and I think that it doesn't take that many steps to to move from uh, a linguistic, uh, uh, being happy to be clever in a linguistic sense to feeling as though, well, actually, I can take this writing and this popularity around writing and I can start to include more and more numbers. And then before you know where you are, you are sort of talking about a more sort of stats savvy community. There's obviously then a bigger sort of snapback towards that. And I think that you get to see that ebb and flow uh, within the sort of the Liverpool, the Liverpool community. There's a lot of people internally who love the anthem Feel rap who don't like when we do stats but that's absolutely fine and that well there's more than enough other stuff and the point isn't that isn't that you're meant to like everything but i think all of that is is why there's the room for for people to to embrace and why you know being accused of trying to be too clever for your own good as long as you are actually also being clever is no not necessarily a bad thing
0: there's a little bit of fun with it as well I mean I, I think from a fan for, from a fan perspective you know debates, arguments in the pub you know this kind of thing Stats just they're just another they're just another Couldn't guy in the pub with a pint and you know they're just <laughs> they're just there you know putting their ore in and yeah. uh, stirring the pot and it just it, it does it, it's just it's just a,
1: a D- different it's conversation the, It's why the language matters though and that's always been my so yeah. why I really like work, I've really enjoyed working with Stats Bomber. I'm not just saying that because you're on I say that to anyone one of the reasons why is because what you and Ted are really really good at is remembering the fact that you've got to at some point be able to say these words out loud to other humans and yeah. where i think there's often an issue where stats becomes problematic for for some people and this also includes you know this includes pretty reasonably well respected journalists at decent enough uh, organizations and papers in the mainstream why i think they find it difficult is is when the argument becomes or the discussion becomes laced with 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 numbers and letters. Uh, that don't feel as though they they pertain to reality, even though they are literally documenting reality. So I think always being able to... And the other thing is, and this is the, this is the other thing again, which I think Statsbomb do very well, and in the writing work also comes o- over really, really well, is often it's absolutely fine to end this with, and there are more questions than answers because of this. And I think that that's something which, again, is always it's always felt as though if you... And I think this is a human thing. If you can put numbers to it, you can get an answer. Whereas, yeah. you know, just having lived the journey with you guys of you trying to work out how to do goalkeepers, still even now, I still feel as though stats bomb at times, there's an element of that. I look at some stuff and I feel as though it's almost like the the interface is saying to me, well, we don't know. But after this, I have some of this information in the meantime. <laughs> it's definitely tough like i
0: mean i think uh, you know i will put the slide over to the stat show, shats, uh, stat show stuff because I, you know I've been, i send you an email most weeks after a game to to kind of like review what's going on and sometimes you're right the questions become bigger than you know become bigger because you're looking at it like i think winein Aldum is a classic example of a player that i've i've kind of like pondered at and i think the <laughs> fan base has pondered at, at i've you know much longer than i have um he's obviously useful he obviously is a key <laughs> member of the team because he's been in the team throughout all this good run but he doesn't ping any stats that you you care to find and even when people have done more advanced work he's you know you don't obviously think like oh this this is the guy that's uh you know that's starring but I, i'm very reluctant to kind of I, you know henderson sometimes gets get some stick i'm very reluctant to be critical of these guys when they've been so present in so much of these you know this good team for two three years and you know just because they haven't got you know a high shot volume or goal volume or assist volume whatever metric that you know you kind of want to attach to them doesn't necessarily mean that what they're doing out there isn't entirely vital and sometimes you know i think players are enablers and um you know that's something that may be a little bit harder to get out from just a kind of a simple run over the stats but
1: uh, yeah, it's definitely definitely something that's curious. Um, I... there's, a really, there's a really good game on that one, by the way, but if you go Liverpool the start of last season, I think our fourth game of the season, our first tough game, was Leicester away. And for the last hour of the match, sorry, the last half hour of the match, it was 2-1 to Liverpool. They concede the soft goal. It's Becker's first mistake in goal, one of his few yeah. mistakes in general. And Klopp moves Wijnaldum to the left-hand side, so after the game I thought let's have a look at this you know there'll be, there'll be something in this he basically for 30 minutes uh, performs one pressure and barely passes the ball once <laughs> yeah yeah. And he, but he gets the 90 minutes I think Henderson gets hooked on 60 he yeah. gets when Alton gets to the 90 minutes and the, I think Liverpool still have a sub until 85 so whatever it is he's doing Liverpool Klopp Linders the team around him are perfectly happy with it and yet when you come to try to measure whatever it is after the fact you just left going well he was present I mean we've it's got to be this is a, this is the thing he gets hooked on the 60 minutes and you're thinking like right yeah because he was doing nothing
0: and then he stays on the pitch and it's like Okay, maybe he was doing something, but I, I I've definitely, I've got an idea I've developed over the course of the season. Is very much the the kind of left, and I think the left and right central midfielders very much support the kind of the forward in front of them and and the back kind of behind and or to the, you know, but <laughs> often in front of them too. I think there's you know the the way these players connect, um, passing wise and m- movement and covering space and stuff is is very much relevant to it. Um, I've got a slide up here, but, you know, Liverpool obviously now the analytics poster boys. Uh, uh, a list of uh, kind of events that have that occurred. Uh, the ownership group uh, joined in. Uh, I think it was October sixth, twenty ten. I looked at
1: yeah.
0: uh, Klopp arrived five years and two days later. I thought that was that was quite interesting. <laughs> it was, I looked at it first and thought it was the same day, and it was like no, it's two days out. But yeah, it took it took five years to get to basically get your manager. And obviously you had a, uh, the the Rogers period, which you know looked as though it was going to be really successful for for a short period of time. And the and the very much weirdness of twenty eleven twelve, where uh, nobody could hit a barn door. Um, but yeah, it, uh, do do you feel now? I mean, you got Michael Edwards who was kind of got like rose to a higher level. At, um, you know, technical director twenty fifteen, sporting director twenty sixteen, and his team Ian Graham there, and you know people like Dufford Steele and Will Spearman in there as well. Um, do you feel that like what what's come through in the last say two or three years is a culmination of that entire period, or do you feel there's been some you know serendipity along the way, a little bit of luck that's that's just kind of come right? Signings are obviously a great example. I mean, you, you, you always hope you get the absolute best out of your signings, but I think Liverpool time and again have very much got the absolute best out of their signings, and that'll be interesting to see if they can replicate that uh, going forward. But uh, yeah, yeah, how do, how do you view the you know the kind of like um, the FSG decade as as far as you know? It's got to where it wanted to, but do you do you feel that like the
1: most of that is deliberate or, you know, it's 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 been a mix of factors. I think it's been a mix of factors. I, th- I think that in everything, what the thing I think Liverpool have done brilliantly on the pitch uh, f- since since Klopp's come in, and I think even elements of it beforehand, what Liverpool have done brilliantly on the pitch, off the pitch, um, across the last five years especially. But as I say, there's a few elements before is ride the luck. Mm-hmm. And I think I think and I think I think that people don't like like Liverpool supporters don't like it if you sort of say, you know, you've been lucky. <laughs> no one likes to be told when that when they're successful they're lucky. But the fact of the matter is that most people who are successful are also simultaneously or have been at some point lucky. And other people may have been lucky, but they haven't ridden the luck well enough. And I think this Liverpool side has ridden its look This Liverpool setup has ridden its luck really, really well in a number of different regards, um, and has obviously made its own luck and has built upon it in a in, in a pretty good way. So, you know, for instance, we can talk about you know you can talk about the transfers, but a really good point is that Liverpool were very, very close for, to go going for Julian Brandt ahead of Mo Salah. Uh, the mm. manager himself is, and this is one of the positives of the manager, is very happy to embrace the fact that it wasn't him who bought Mo that it was, you know, an argument was won internally with him, where he had to be convinced and he went with it, um, you know, that is, without being too churlish, I don't think this is true, but it's very possible that's just that someone got Klopp on the right day. Now, I actually don't think that's true, but it's possible. Uh, you know, that it, it helps that Klopp was in a position to be suitably open minded towards someone like Mo Salah, Um And that isn't just in a, well, he listens to the transfer people sense, but also in a general, as I say, that he, he may well have felt that they, they had enough sort of credit in the bank with them up to that point. I think that they've done a lot of research into personality types, but even that, you can do great research into personality types, but some people might just not settle in the region and they may dislike a teammate and that might not happen for you. And again, I think Liverpool, you make your own luck. They did the research, but then you get lucky. And broadly speaking, up until um, Keita... You know, and I, by the way, think that you know the the key thing for Kaiter is just simply getting him on the pitch. It's nothing else. It's it's how healthy we can keep him. It's not a question of anything else, tactically or anything like that. Or you know, as as a, how good a player I think he is. Um, yeah, he's he's a fascinating case because he, from a kind of stats perspective, he, he's
0: he's probably like the most kind of surefire. Right, you might you might you gotta buy that guy. You know, <laughs> why wouldn't you buy that guy? And, and obviously it hasn't really worked out for him. When he has been on the pitch, he's looked pretty pretty hopeful. But uh, you know, injuries can de- derail you know the best of players, and that's the that's the funny thing with
1: him, I guess. Uh, Yeah, and Keita and Shaqiri in one summer, and again, you know, it's not just getting lucky, but in the end, the way the way, for instance, the full-backs, both full-backs improve, mean that the idea of having to have more generation from from someone like Shakiri or Kaita of end product becomes less important. But I don't think there's, you know, I think that Liverpool thought that Trent Alexander-Arnold, for instance, could be an international class right back in 2017. But I don't think they were thinking we can effectively devolve much of our creative activity to him in two and a half years' time. I think they were thinking he's got a ton of quality, but sometimes players grow, and what Liverpool have done really well is give them room. Yeah, that's that's remarkable, really. I mean, you know, the the way both fullbacks have come through and just been, you know,
0: exceptional. I I I, I personally think Robertson slightly underrated. Um, you know, maybe as every month goes goes by, people will realise that, you know, he's not he's he's, he's he's not uh not in there by chance, and his performance is really exceptional. But yeah, and Trent obviously gets a lot of the plaudits because he's on cause he's on set pieces, and you know he's can. Contribution towards goals is obviously, uh, you know, slightly more visible than uh, Robertson. But yeah, I mean, time and again, they've they've got things right and got the absolute top end out of out of their uh, signings. I think I think what a key key point for me was uh, turning around the Coutinho money and actually being being like being brave enough to actually just say like, yeah, we need a, we need a centre back and we want this centre back. And same, you know, I, I thought, think they took too long to buy. Probably to buy Allison or to buy the the keeper that they wanted to commit to. I think they could have probably gone with that a year or so earlier. But when they did go for it, you know, it was a, it was a case of right, we've identified, you know, not very sexy positions, centre back and goalkeeper, and we're going to spend pretty much, you know, all the all the money that Coutinho brought in on these two positions, recognizing, uh, you know, the the kind of value of um actually sorting out that part of the team, which did did need sorting out at that time, um. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's I, I you know obviously from an analytics perspective that's kind of like where we're interested where you know we're interested at from StatsBomb side of things and I you know listed the key players there apart from you know the ownership group, uh, Klopp and the analytics department are there, are there you know any kind of unsung heroes you think in the, in particularly uh, that you, you you think are worth nominating out
1: of the kind of like you know the Liv- Liverpool's kind of core group of. Um, employees and players obviously <laughs> no i think i think i think linders has been unbelievably important on the coaching uh, side and it's interesting that there's the there's the in and out and there's the loss of bouvac in there as well which for a while was co- hugely controversial in liverpool circles partially understandably partially, partially ever so slightly everyone lost their head a little bit but i think that there's a lot of it appears to be from the outside there's a lot of analysis done by linders into what linders does um, so, I think there's a lot of work on players as individuals uh, where he's looking to get certain things out of them. And I do wonder when you talk about the fullbacks. Uh, how important Linders may well have been in that in terms of spotting potential for improvements and encouraging it uh, on a on on quite a, almost personal level uh with them and i think that that is i think that is internally within i suspect within liverpool's setup quite data driven um i think that you you right to, to to mention um edwards there um and then i think i i think the rest of it's you know the one the the, the thing i think liverpool have got right um Really got right, and where I think the manager is 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 very very important. Isn't anything beyond the environmental question? So the very idea that you know, listen, the final say will be with him, but he will listen to all parties. The very idea that he, you know, we've got literal evidence of him sort of seeding things towards towards the science side. The fact that he has more of a science background than is actually given credit for. Uh, within there as well you know he did a sports science qualification whilst he was in Germany and I think the fact that he's co- that there is an openness towards constant improvement which I think is also the case with Guardiola I hasten to add that because I think one of the, the strange things that's happened happen, happened and is happening in European football is if you actually go back through the last say from 20 say 2017 and almost spool back every four or five years you're able to point at something new and funky and where you go oh my word whereas I actually think that you know, you look at the, the one of the brilliances of Liverpool and Manchester City, is they're actually they're actually doing this stuff in house with hugely venerated managers involved, and I think it's because the personality type is we haven't got all the answers. We I am open to hear hearing different things and thinking about the game differently at all times. So I think there's that as well.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, something from the outside. I feel from from a Liverpool perspective is is. Um you don't see battles of egos it feels like you know the team i mean obviously they're a winning team it's easy to get on when you're winning <laughs> but in ge- in general you know you, you it feels like the whole kind of like the group in general is relatively um you know relatively harmonious and you haven't got you know the kind of battles of egos that you you might find uh, quick look at the league table there which uh, and and the ex- expected goals table which is obviously caused quite a lot of consternation um again it's has got we've um Talked about quite a lot over over time in the fact that I uh, I very much feel like uh, you know Liverpool every season under Klopp they've they've tweaked something and I think maybe one of the things that they tweaked a little bit this season was just just learning just to um, just to sit on a lead and sit at two nil and just don't worry about metrics, don't worry about just racking up the score, you've got a hell of a lot of games, 50, 60 games in a season, you only ever need to do enough, Um, I think... One of the one of the factors that that will be hard to replicate in further seasons, despite the fact that you know their record is isn't actually that different from last season, um, is the fact they went ahead so frequently, so so early on in games uh, this season, which was such a help. Um, I think when Leicester won their title, they they had that. It was almost like you know a, a feature of of them, how they managed to win so many games, despite their metrics not appearing to be uh, quite so kind. Um, Man City's metrics uh, you know, look on the surface to be superior, but I think the thing with Liverpool is the consistency. You know, if if if, if Liverpool put up uh, two two expected goals, two goals worth of chances per game and their opponents put up, say, you know, under one, that's nearly every game. Man City's uh, games can be can skew a little bit more differently and I think that's influenced the metrics. Have you got anything you'd like you'd like to add us yeah, to you know, this I, kind I, of this debate a little- here?
1: There's something I've been meaning to ask you to do, actually, James, And now that you brought it up. I'd love to see that same table that you're referring to with XG for, XG against. Uh, I'd love to see it 0-70. Right,
0: okay, that's interesting. I'll, I'll make I a think, note of that. I, I think there's a that.
1: number of Liverpool's games um, where they go ahead, um, let's say they get themselves to 2-0 or 2-1 by 65, and then they don't have another shot. They literally don't create another attacker. Yeah. this is a side that we talk about as being... You know, it's perceived amongst the wider populace, understandably so, as being brilliant on the counter. You can pull together. You can easily find YouTubes of Liverpool's best uh, counter-attacking performances. But I'll give you just a really, really good example. Liverpool... Uh, Liverpool... The, the last league game Liverpool have played, it comes up currently on StatsBomb, um, is the game against Bournemouth. And, um, and this is... Well, this is a good example of something else Liverpool are good at as well. Uh, basically... Um, Bournemouth get an early goal. Liverpool make it 2-1 two just before the break. Bournemouth have a really good chance. Uh, the People might remember it, the Ryan Fraser one-on-one on the 60th minute mark. Bournemouth mm. don't get to have another shot. They don't get to have another right. shot in the game. Uh, and Liverpool... and they, they, There's stuff around the Liverpool penalty area, but they don't have another shot. But Liverpool move their own XG from up until a late late counter Liverpool's own XG moves from about no point I would say about 0.8 to 0.85 in fact I should be able mm. to pull this um and it comes so Liverpool Liverpool's cumulative XG on the 62nd minute is 0.87 and on the 82nd minute is 1.01 mm. now I, I refuse to believe that if Liverpool needed a goal against Bournemouth that would be <laughs> yeah. the case
0: yeah, no, I think that's very true. I did, um, I have, I have uh, put together a kind of um, you know game state version of, of the XG chart. Uh, so you know, winning, losing, and drawing, and it did, it did kind of like show show that how um, Liverpool were you know more kind of like comparable to man city when drawing you know like oh it, it, the, the difference was far less and liverpool might have even yeah. been superior i can't recall but the point was you know when when it when when they had to and when they were behind as well liverpool spent so little time behind but when they have been behind they you know come out of the blocks and and just had tended to you know hit hit teams hard but um yeah they, i think that's definitely definitely part of it if you you know once you filter into the into the data you can you can understand that and also at the same time i think uh, you know 27 wins out of 29 it's just that it's just the absolute top end of of expectation beyond those games. You know, if you played all those twenty nine games again in in um, you know all the same circumstances, if you know you could ever do that, I think you'd find you know very few occasions where <laughs> where Liverpool would get such a great great return from that. But there's. You know, let's let's not let's not under underscore their achievement. You know, a lot of the teams that have won titles in recent seasons have had these long winning runs. Um I know Chelsea did when they won the title under Conte and Man City obviously did last season. So, you know, it's
1: it's 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 kind of part of how it how it plays out. I think I think the, there there really is something in the idea that Liverpool are the other side. It may not be the greatest ever side to play football, but I think they are the sides who have most addressed a league season when people say it's thirty eight cup finals as though it's thirty eight cup finals.
0: Yeah, and again, that's. Do you remember those January? It was like one year under clock, wasn't it? January they fell apart and they just couldn't yep. couldn't buy a win. And it's I I so feel that they learned from that. And it was like right, hang on, you know. There's point. You know the classic thing you always they always say about the transfer window, and uh, you know, have you got your squad settled by by this season starting when it used to finish at the end of you know August? There's three games there, four games there. Have you dropped points? Why Why have you dropped points there? You know that kind yep. of just understanding the whole picture of things. I think that's uh, definitely something relevant.
1: Yeah, there's, there's loads of examples if you, when you go through, if you go through the race charts through the season where Liverpool, there's a good one at home against Wolves over Christmas where Liverpool, we get into the second half, Liverpool have the last attempt on the 61st minute and they end mm. up ahead in the race chart. I think it's what, it's what I've got in front of me. In fact, I don't think it's 1.18 versus 0.71 and Wolves mm. do get a couple of sniffs. The best, the, the highest value opportunity something that forced to Raul Jimenez and it's 0.23. But Wolves themselves, not much happens from their side. Apart from that, zero point two three. There's a lot of stuff that's less than one in ten, and I think that there's something else that they're doing, which is part of what's creating this. Is I think that Liverpool have, have learned a lot from the peak Sean Dyche Burnley stuff in terms right. of that. There are, there are. I think there's almost if you look if you look at some of the goals Adrian concedes not Alisson, Adrian concedes I think you get to see sometimes where it looks like in the end Joe Gomez or Virgil van Dijk have let someone shoot and they shouldn't have done whereas I think that there's the the way they work with Alisson is they are happy to let people shoot ha- I don't think this is a Liverpool defence that's desperate to stop shots, they're just quite happy for people to shoot on their own terms I've definitely considered this as a as a
0: theory behind. It. I, I can't find evidence for it. I've looked in the data for it, but I've definitely considered this because I think they don't block many shots. Liverpool, um, which partly is, you know, some quite a few of the shots they do allow. Uh, you know, teams kind of breaking on them because they spend so much, they're a good team and they spend so much time on the other, up the other side of the pitch. But um, it's certainly something I've I've considered that the idea that the, they give their keeper a clear sight of shots um, or shots that they may deem uh, you know to be not threatening.
1: I can't prove it.
0: It's just an idea, but it's but it's uh. That's interesting to see you in on that. Yeah, I've I think, just
1: I think that's something in the Adrian versus Alison stuff. But I also think the number of times that if you if you and I think you I think you may have it in the data, and I think this may actually be an, an aspect where because what you have around expected goals takes into account positions of defenders. You already, you, you're you already doing that. So my point about this is I wonder whether or not, because you haven't got almost a black hole in the data, what you're missing, though, the flip side of that is where people would say, well, hang on, that seems a bit skewed. I don't remember that, but that game running this way on a race chart. And and then you looking back and going, that's what they're doing. I think if you were to go through a lot of the shots that Liverpool give up, they are effectively only offering the the person who's attempting the shot, let's say it's from greater than 12 yards, one half of the goal, which Alisson is already aware of, and he is the best goalkeeper in the world. So he's only got to worry about one half of the goal. Right. And I think that that's in there, but I think that's a really difficult thing to measure. But also you're already measuring it in part because of the way you do yeah. XG. Yeah, this is the thing.
0: So, you know, we're, we're looking to it, but the, you know, one of the things about um, you know kind of expected goals and starts and stuff is a lot of the time you're you're covering you know you're the entire populace, so you're not necessarily of course you're not necessarily going to see yep. like a, a small wrinkle that a team is actually inputting in uh, if it, if indeed it exists. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting point. I've just a point I wanted to hit on here. I've just put is a this table basically of Liverpool squad and the minutes they played in the in the uh, league this season, and I think a lot of, i know it's been said a uh, guy Nikos overhaul who's uh, kind of the sc- uh, main technical scout that works with starts bomb he said this before he uh, he feels that, like um if you left analytics people to build a football team they'd they'd buy a bunch of 21 year olds that look like they're going to be future superstars and and they probably wouldn't win because that you know they their future <laughs> they haven't they haven't arrived yet and i think one of one of the things to note about liverpool squad right now is this team this team's the right age to win you know, look at yep. they're all 26, 27, 28, 29. This, I mean, this this is this is exactly the right uh, you know age for for a team to be performing at its at its best. You know, no, very only a select choice of kind of like 30, 30 year olds. Um, you know, older than 30 that are in, even in the squad. I was thinking because to me, you know, the next challenge will be not probably not next year, maybe the year, but maybe the year after when when say uh, you know the midfield like Van Alderman Henderson like you do. You're okay with one of them being 30, 31, 32, but do you really want to carry them both? Center backs, you know, Van Dyke's 28, Math Tips 28, uh, Lovren's 30. Again, in a year or two, you're going to be uh, having questions about how to how to move them move them on and maybe even the three strikers who are both all 27 28 like this this team as it stands will probably be a, a superior team for the next year two years as it is but then there's going to be a, then there's going to have to be a kind of a decision about how to kind of uh, evolve from that and I was wondering are there any particular uh, aspects of the team that you feel that or maybe you maybe you'd proactively kind of reboot now uh, with a view of uh, looking at you know a kind of mid-term future
1: yeah i think if you start with with the expected you know and let's pull back from the the pandemic uh, and the delay and then sort mm. of see if we can we can force something on it i think if you look at the expected departures from the summer uh you're looking at um lallana and lovran as your top two Hmm. So they're your two expected departures uh, from the summer. The next one along the line is Shakiri, but he's only played 194 minutes of Premier League football. Yeah, But, you know, he's in there as well. I think you can say that he would have gone. So Lala, so is 32, going on 33. Lovren's 30, Shakiri's 28. So I expect all three of them to be moved from the squad uh, this summer in whatever that form that takes. It's worth pointing out that, and it's an underreported thing, and again, it's in part because of the type of player he is, that Wijnaldum's only got a year left on his deal. And yeah, no, I, I did notice that earlier. And, and he's, he's exactly that age
0: where it's a difficult decision. Uh, you, you, in, ideally, I think you'd give him like one or two, well, two years or something. You yeah. don't really want to give him four, but his agent probably wants four. And also, <laughs> you know probably, I mean?
1: and also could probably again pre crisis have gone to Juventus or Barcelona and mm. and received a greater a greater amount of money on a weekly basis. So I think that's I think oh, I think that's playing out a little bit currently with the Liverpool setup in terms of the outs. I think there's a little bit of natural wastage. If you look mm. at I think there's something in Keita he's 25, but he hasn't got many miles on the clock the last couple of seasons. And there's a there's, there's there's a strand of Liverpoolian thought which is that the reason why Klopp might be consider might consider moving him on is because of the injuries. I Mm. actually think there's something counterintuitive here, which is that I think that there's there's such a thing as injuries, but there's also, I think, for players, miles on the clock. And Mm. Keita actually hasn't had that many minutes last couple of seasons. So if Liverpool can can solve the problem of the injuries or be confident they can up to a point, then there's actually an argument that Keita's more can almost be better profiled as a 23, 24-year-old than as a 25-year-old, if you sort of see what I mean. Then you've got Minamino with the brought-in, and it's interesting he's in that 21 to 25 bracket because Liverpool are underrepresented. Gomez is 23 and Alexander-Arnold's 21. And I'd expect to see Liverpool recruit as strongly as they can twenty-one to twenty-five year olds in each in basically each of the three positions across the next the next summer call it two summers now because of the reality that we're faced with. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Liverpool get three or four more Minaminos in as the first one I'd argue. Where there's players who profile as Liverpool want them to profile, but between the ages of 21 and 25, that's one one of the reasons I think Liverpool were very interested in Werner, and we'll see whether or not anything comes of it. But yeah. I th- I think, and I think that he'll do that, and then the next phase of that is get more time for people like Harvey Elliott, Curtis mm. Jones. I think Origi goes and Rian Brewster gets some of his minutes uh, as an opportunity uh, within the squad in the first-team picture because that pulls that down. So, yes, Origi is only 25, but you struggle to see him genuinely kicking on into a first-team regular with the strength of Liverpool's front, four, front three. But I think they'll want to add someone from the age of 21 to 25 who they will back to be a player as part of that front three moving forward. So I think I think they are going to recruit.
0: Is a wee treat here. Uh, we, we've started collecting some u youth, youth league data. Now, You won't have seen this, yet. Uh, but <laughs> uh, it's, it's only under nineteen games. There's only four games, so it's not much. But Curtis Jones really stood out. It was interesting. I was I was having a look at the data, and it was like, oh my god, who's this kid? Oh yeah, it's Curtis Jones. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see. Um, Again, there shouldn't be too much read into this because you know he's playing age group football and these are these are the stats that have come out of those games. So you know there's a limited limited impact of that. But yeah, I was wondering, uh, you know how how high do you you know what's the general consensus on him
1: and his ceiling
0: in the in the in the club?
1: I think I I think the general consensus is that he'll be the one, the next one he'll get a genuine opportunity uh, in terms of a number of games. I think he's I think he's actually unlucky with this current break because and also with Liverpool going out to the Champions League. I think if they had the season proceeded as normal and Liverpool. Are got through against Atletico, then I would have expected Curtis Jones to get himself four or five starts mm. like, by the end of the campaign in Premier Yeah, it would Football. have been perfect,
0: wouldn't it? You know, with, a t- with its title sealed up, it's like, right, yeah. let's, blood, let's blood a couple of these guys a little bit more and give them, not just, you know, the odd cut match when we're, we're elsewhere, but... Yeah, exactly, yeah,
1: the, the idea of playing, you know, uh, April the 12th was meant to be Aston Villa at home. And that's a really, you know, put, put Curtis Jones in, but pick apart from that a pretty strong eleven. And you'd be mm. in a position to sort of see it, but also see how he, he deals with the rigors of a of a desperate Aston Villa side who are looking to get any points. I think I think that is a little different to playing even Aston Villa in the in the in the Carabao Cup when the, firstly they're firstly they weakened a little bit as well, but it hasn't got the same edge of desperation. So I think that is a bit of a blow. What's Jones's long term position, do you think? Where where would he <laughs> where would he fit? I don't know because I'm wondering
0: if anyone else does.
1: <laughs> no, I it's it's such a strange thing. I'd like if if, if Liverpool the next time Liverpool play a game an organised game of football and you said <laughs> to me that they're playing them left back, I wouldn't go. That's insane. I'd go. Let's have a look and see how that plays out. That's uh, not yes. I know. Yeah,
0: and Joe Joe even jokes apart. Like the the backup left back slot still remains, doesn't it? It's,
1: yeah, it's kind of open. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't. It wouldn't make it make me think that I'm going to look at something here, and that's crazy. And I'm not saying that they do that. For me, I think I'd like to see him be given some opportunities. Uh, the left hand side of that midfield, um, I think he can really benefit. I think if you look at Lalana's minutes over the course of the season, he's 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 441. You know, if, if Jones keeps his own twenty yard sweeps up that four four one, maybe finds a way yeah. to add another you know, add another two hundred to it next season, then firstly it'll drag that Alfred Age profile down. But secondly, I think you're also saying that's that's a real sort of that, that that's that's a real boost. You know, if he can get ten nineties worth of Premier League football, plus Liverpool get a bit of a cup run. Uh, plus, he maybe gets a Champions League, couple of Champions League uh, group games against the, the the third and fourth seeds in the group. Then I think you'd be saying that's a decent little season for him to really then spring on the year after, and the year yeah. after surely Milner's last year.
0: So you think you mentioned Brewster there? You think he's someone who can come in and, and be a you know kind of a Rigi role spare, spare guy for you know backups for you know, th- yeah easier home he,
1: games that kind of thing. I think if you do your minutes though, I think that there's a bit of a question on. I think Liverpool do need to add for the, they do need to disrupt that front three and that's not a, a slight on any of them but I think that adding a, adding a fourth who who can at least have genuine pretensions from the day they arrive at the club to yeah. being in the company that front three is really important I think if you do that you remove Origi from the equation I think then the next step on that is whether or not is what you're happy for Brewster to live with So if you're happy to have a situation where Brewster, unless there's an injury crisis, which Liverpool touchwood have mostly not had for a long time, and I think that's a massive part of recruitment, uh, but if you're happy to do that, then you end up ever so slightly maybe looking at Brewster getting, say, 400-500 minutes over the course of a season if things go pretty well, or do you decide that you want him somewhere else like Swansea again? And that's, I don't know what the answer is to that. And also in amongst all of this, we haven't, you know, when we're talking about doling out the time on the pitch to some younger players, we haven't mentioned Minamino yet, um, who, you know, can't have come only to play 93 Premier League minutes by this stage. He would have expected maybe a little bit more, but he would certainly expect more than that as a ratio going into next season. So I would worry that it's difficult for Brewster. But all of that said, I think that the biggest casualty to anyone coming in who's a top rank from from three player from a Liverpool point of view. It is a Rigi. I think it is the idea that a Rigi moves on. I think it is the idea you get a really good FIFA a Rigi. He's coming into his prime years. Mm. He hasn't got an unbelievable number of miles on the clock. He's got great experience and I think he he does profile as a potential player who could score you know 15 to 20 top flight like, goals somewhere across Europe over yeah, I think 35 they, I think, games
0: I think the thing with the front you know the front three are obviously world class uh, by any definition and you know all contribute the thing is they all contribute a bit of everything don't they you know they're not I think Origi's more of a kind of like poachery finishery type than the three that he's trying to get in for and you know it's a thankless task you know you're the fourth guy at Liverpool you know you're not it's it's like being Messi's understudy isn't it you know you're not going to get many minutes this is yeah. the way it goes
1: but the flip side of that, of that though is that we, st- that for all players there is a breaking point and Liverpool have really sailed close to that particular win this season and if, if you're someone like Roberto Firmino this has been pretty relentless now since sixteen seventeen. Yeah, 17, sure. In terms of number, how much time you, you you are on the pitch and Liverpool, you know, if I say they're getting it, they, and this is back to the idea of riding your own luck or creating your own luck, are they getting away with it? Are they create? Are they just managing the player brilliantly? You know, there's 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 the truth is somewhere in between. But you know, Liverpool this season, whilst simultaneously haven't had quite serious. Injury questions, especially around the goalkeeper. You know, we shouldn't be sit, sat here having a conversation, and ad, where Adrian is just would have broken a thousand Premier League minutes if it wasn't for the, if it wasn't for the cessation of football. You know, he would have got the other side of a thousand Premier League minutes, and we'd be talking about a Liverpool team that may may well have won thirty out of thirty two, where they're where you know essentially their second choice goal their second choice goalkeeper uh would be you know would would have played a third of the games uh, in the premier league which would have been a real achievement that said you know Trent Alexander-Arnold 2,700 minutes Andy Robertson 2,600 minutes Wijnaldum to just shy of 2,500 minutes uh Firmino 2,500 Mane 2,200 one injury over the course of the season Salah 2,300 you know These lads do get themselves on the pitch, but there is a point where maybe, just maybe, Liverpool need to plan for the idea that what these footballers have actually done in 29 games, they should be doing in 38 um, right. And that that's you know, and, and that even includes Van Dyke, who I'm sure would hate it. But you know, Van Dyke, and there is another way to do it, which is obviously you get your, you get your business so, so done early, which Liverpool might have done. But you know, Van Dyke's going to finish, would have finished this season, it's probably still will. Haven't played about three thousand three hundred minutes. You know, yeah, if, that's sure. That, I, think, I think. Go on. You no, know, but it might be that long term from a Liverpool point of view, that's better off, and it doesn't sound like much, but being around three thousand, and then you you you're, you're in better shape.
0: Yeah, definitely, and you know, with long, long Champions League runs, and you know, tra- tra- the travel that comes with, uh, you know, winning, <laughs> you know, world, world, uh, champ. What I can't even remember what it's called. The 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 club <laughs> yeah, World football Cup football thing clubs, that yeah. happens, and all this kind of stuff. But um, yeah, so I think you know that's pretty much covered what I wanted to wanted to talk about. There's you. Uh, I, I think you <laughs> talked to Sky the other a couple of weeks ago. I think. I found this uh, picture. Uh, this, so this is—I was going to say, what's, you know, what's next? This is this picture is pretty much what's next at the moment, isn't it? We're all we covered it at the start. Um, is there anything you know you'd like to kind of like mention about, like how, how you see things, things you know going forward for yourself, or you know, all for the, the Anfield wrap
1: in general? Just in general, we're just you know always looking to do to do new stuff. We wanna we we've got a bit of a plan to integrate some stat stuff a little bit differently next season, make it a little bit more fun. The thing that still remains the toughest, uh, to be honest, and uh, you know if you ask me one thing I'd like to see changed in the way in which the the Premier League markets and packages itself the the idea of being able to use under any circumstance any 20 second clip uh, yeah sure that's a good not, idea just wouldn't have helped in the same way that you can with the NBA it just wouldn't have helped be able to illustrate a lot of what you and I talk about James to be honest absolutely. with you yeah absolutely and 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 you know I think that I'm not asking for sense to prevail in any sort of dramatic way. I understand that the Premier League's got its own its own product and it's, it's got its own questions around its own right holders. So I know that and you know current climate especially this is this this is especially difficult. But I think it would make you know if you're asking me the the thing that would next make whatever however we want to term fan media or non. Uh, mainstream media and by that this isn't, you know, I'm not the, I, by that I predominantly do mean actually the televisual stuff. If we want to improve the analysis that you can give I think being able to use very quick cut discrete examples that wouldn't always be goals just wouldn't half make the whole enterprise firstly, A, easier but secondly visually more appealing it would I just, think, Yeah,
0: it would just be better and I think, you know, from from people all across this kind of sphere, you know, if you could, if you could just you know, kind of like uh, we understand, there's going to be rules, but if you could just have have some some freedom to to do do it, then yeah, that would that would be really would uh, be of a benefit for the you know the whole kind of like publication. Even though, I mean, I, I, the three o'clock rules are classic, isn't it? You know, you've got you've got uh, home fans and basically people in many other countries that are legally entitled to watch the, watch the, watch their team, and in this country you can't. It's you know that f- feels like it's something that might even get get overturned as we go through this kind of COVID period.
1: Yeah, I think that's the case. I expect that to be the case, to be honest with you. and I don't. I, but even as part of that, I think that comes back to how the Premier League wants to interact with the leagues beneath it, because I think I think it has to sort of see its role as being the elite and as part of this this pyramid structure. Hmm. And I think everyone needs to understand that, therefore, within there, there's give and take. For instance, I don't think, you know, I think it's, I ultimately think, if you want me to go through my whole, what is the problem with English football thing, I think <laughs> the problem is the championship. Uh, and I think right. it's, time, it's time for a Premier League too um yeah i think in any case currently because of parachute payments at any given time the premier league's given money to nine teams outside of its 20 so i think something that would ease everyone's burden yeah um, that's a good point we're kind of like you say we're almost halfway there anyway yeah and yeah. uh, so i think if you imagine one of the things that we talk about at the minute is too many games i think if you imagine rather than it's, uh, two, one league of 20 i think if you imagine two leagues of 18 uh greater flow uh, promotion and relegation between those two divisions season by season so that the but but ultimately that wealth being spread just a little bit more uh, in there I think it'd help, and I think it would mean that the whole that the the, the issue that the championship has would be made just a tiny little bit easier. Uh, and because I think that the championship it, it it encourages too much gambling on the one hand, the risk the reward mm. leads to risks being taken that are too great because the reward is so great uh, in in a, in a in a in a you know the Premier League sense. So I think that's something that they should also be looking at. But I think as part of that though, the EFL and the club's lower down i've got to start to say well you know how do we how do we help you um and how do we sort of Accept that there is the pinnacle of the game, and how do we all sort of interconnect that? You know, if you're gonna, if you can give us greater support, we can relax on a 3 pm blackout. Uh, we've already done the academisation thing. Is there an argument to have be able to relax the rules on feeder clubs um, as long as they're able to hold the true identity lower down the divisions? Uh, but simultaneously, therefore, you you know, Premier League clubs end up t- uh, taking more of the financial risk. If the Premier League t- clubs end up taking more of the financial risk, then there should be a much, much more stringent. EFL fit and proper persons test within there and I think there's a lot of stuff that it doesn't take much sort of joined up thinking to work out what's good for the game as a whole um and you know none of this takes takes you know it, is that tricky I think that for instance if you were to share European revenue let's say five percent of Liverpool's of all of the Liverpool's European prize money goes to goes to whatever we constitute the EFL as being um but Liverpool are given the opportunity to play the four more Champions League games and go and do the FIFA World Club Cup thing that they want to do in 2021 off the basis of the fact that the revenue and the prize money from those extra five games bar gate receipts, 5% of it will be spread down the league. I think there's lots of things you could do, but it it needs, firstly, leadership from the big clubs, but it needs people to think with a very big piece of paper and say, how does all of this connect? How do we want it to connect? But what are what are the, the entrenched positions we've all ended up in that we want to row back from? And how that's do it, we all go back from that without losing our heads?
0: Yeah, we're trying we're trying to overcome history, aren't we? And obviously, you know, 92 different kind of stakeholders all with slightly different it's been views 30 on years.
1: things. And... So it's 30 years now, and you know, that that's when ninety-two happens, league football only existed since eighteen eighty-eight. You know, it's mm. thirty years, that's that's 30% of the period from 1888 to 92, and this is it's been accelerated the Champions League's come in. I think 30 years is a perfectly good time to have an assessment anyway, and say, is this thing working in all the ways we want it to work, or isn't it? Uh, But I think, as I say, that takes a lot of leadership and a lot of people not being entrenched.
0: Totally. Right. I very much appreciate you coming on, Neil. It's been great. Um, uh, I think we had a little bit of problems on the broadcast, so uh, it'll be put out as a podcast soon enough once I've edited it together. So uh, apologies if you you, you didn't get the full experience this way, but uh, it'll be a (laughs) podcast soon enough. Anyway, uh, yeah, I very much appreciate this, Neil. Uh, Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on.